This is Know It All, the ABCs of Education, a platform of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we empower our listeners with insightful information about equity in education. Welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. Let me just remind you to listen to Know It All, the ABCs of Education, at our new time in prime time, every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or listen to the show at any time from your computer at blogtalkradio.com forward slash knowitall, where you can also access the chat room during the show. Follow Know It All for regular updates. I am your host, Allison R. Brown, president of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC, where we create education equity plans and promote equity in education in compliance with federal civil rights law. Our website is allisonbrownconsulting.com. There, you can read our blog and subscribe to the ABC Know-It-All newsletter. If you're tweeting, follow me at Allison R. Brown and tweet about the show with the hashtag KnowItAllABC. Well, it is Women's History Month, as you all know, and I am very excited to welcome a phenomenal woman to the show today. My guest, Silver, will be a regular contributor to Know It All and brings a unique perspective of neuroscience and healthy brain development in children to equity work. Dr. Philip Silver is a neuroscientist, educator, musician, and mother. She is also the owner of JPS Research and Education. Welcome to the show today, Jessica. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Allison. So I, I want to start by having you explain the Montessori mindset. Will you speak on that? What What does that mean? So I'm uh, I'm what people call a Montessori mom, um, in, which means that I I'm not actually a trained Montessorian, but I came to discover the Montessori approach to children. Uh, when I had my first child. And what I've learned, and then I've, I, being a sort of a natural researcher and a sort of avid reader, I've, I just read everything I could get my hands on about that. And then I started reading on how that relates to what I know from my own work about brain development um, and, and growing children. And so what I learned in my own studying of the Montessori approach is that it really is centered around um, a very developmentally appropriate focus on understanding the needs of the developing child. And it begins from the very, very beginning. Um, it has to do with um, setting up the expectations in the, the parents and the, the, the family and community that are waiting to welcome a child into the world. And then it continues to follow the children's the child's needs through various stages of development that Dr. Maria Montessori, who was an Italian, the first woman, speaking of women's month, to, um, to graduate with a medical degree um, in Rome, Italy, at her t- during her time, which is the period of fascism in Italy. Um, the the st- stages of development that she studied and laid out um, based on her own work with children um, in San Lorenzo in Rome. And so what it, in my sort of... Um, uh, summary of the, the really the basics, the core, what's at the heart of Montessori is that it has to do with adults understanding what is their role in the life of a child and in guiding a child's development. And there are a few 
main principles that are really focused on, which, have, which boil down to basically what they call being a prepared adult, and that means having thought through um, what, what that role is going to be and having some idea of how we're approaching it. In other words, that we go about this in a very deliberate way. Um, having a prepared environment, which means doing things to set up the home, the educational surroundings, the, the, the environment the child is living in, in ways that will naturally accommodate the child's needs and enable the, the parent and the adults to effectively carry out their role. And then it has to do with following that child through development and acting as kind of a guide for development. And the important thing about the role of the adult in the, in the child from a Montessori perspective is that, from an education perspective too, is that the child is not an empty vessel that we fill with information and rules and regulations um, mm. and, and teach in that way. But that, in fact, what Dr. Montessori said is that the child reveals herself and we follow the child's cues um, and there are many, many ways of doing that, many skills we can develop in how to do that. The, the parent is still the parent. The parent is the authority. The parent is in charge. And the parent is warm and um, nurturing um, and also firmly authoritative. Um, but, but the parent is, is, is following, both following the cues of the child to understand the child's needs and... Um, and then laying the foundation for the child to, to become herself um, and acting mm -hmm. as sort of a guide along that, um, along that development. So the, mm -hmm. one of, one of the, um, that's kind of the, the, the setup for it. And then, you know, you can get deeper into questions like um, what, what is key in a young child's development. And one of the very, very central principles to it has to do with the child learning to regulate herself. And that, mm -hmm. that applies to everything we think of from being able to set and adapt to a, a regular schedule for feeding and sleeping and um, communication and, and, and then going forth in development having to do with um, how to regulate my feelings and emotions, how to calm myself down, how to take care of my own needs, how to be self-sufficient, um, how to feed myself, put myself to sleep, all the things that the parent ultimately wants the child to be able to do, basically to become a self-sufficient, um, independent, competent little human being. Mm -hmm. So I want to I take a step back for a second and, and um, make sure that folks understand who you are and what you really bring to this and, you know, why this conversation is important. So mm -hmm. you are, you study the brain, right? You are mm -hmm. a, a brain scientist and your expertise and your research has been the development of um, how, how babies' brains develop and the impact of external factors on brain, healthy brain development and um, what, what I've heard you call and what I know is a scientific term, executive functioning, which is mm -hmm. basically that people can, can stop themselves from acting right. spontaneously um, right. and, and can, can act and behave appropriately in certain circumstances. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, you know, I, I think your your tremendous experience, and then you kind of interweave the arts and music and, um, you know, kind of just artistic expression into your scientific work as well. Yeah, right. yeah and there's been kind of an, a natural evolution in my work where my specialization really as a... Um, you know, as a scientific researcher, has been music in the brain and even dance in the brain. And that, you know, that applies to early development. I studied um, uh, brain auditory processing related to music and multisensory processing related to music in very young babies, but also we looked later in the, in the lifespan. And then what happened is um, I had a kid. <laughs> and mm-hmm. suddenly, suddenly as a scientist, I started becoming really fascinated with questions that were central to my being a parent, uh, which is that other very important job. And, um, and so, you know, as I continue to study sort of music in the brain and, and, and questions related to um, why we have music and how it, how it, can, how it, ha- it shapes our brain development and things like that, then I also started to think about um, how that, those, those principles applied to the bigger picture, which is how are we raising our children? Mm-hmm. And when you're a parent in a particular time and in a particular place, there are certain issues that come up, you know, questions of how do I educate my child? Um, what options are available? Um, how, how much time do I stay home with my child or work away from home? Or um, how many parents are in this family? How many people are... Um, contributing to raising this child, and some of the bigger questions made me realize, and you know, made me realize that um, basically it started guiding my research towards those things. So I now do research on more questions related to things like, as you said, executive functioning, the development of self-control in children, because <laughs> because as a mother, <laughs> you're you're kind of desperate <laughs> to figure those things out <laughs> and try to answer some of your own questions, you know, like. What, yeah, what, yeah. what? How do I do this, really? <laughs> yeah. And um, and I'm very I'm very big on doing things very deliberately, um, and so having the the job that I have as a researcher enables me gives me not, little opportunities to study those things that are so fascinating, so inspiring for all of us, um, mm-hmm. and and then you know and then bring that to the to these types of conversations where we really look at um, what are we doing as a society. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, Carol Dweck, who is uh, the scientist and author of The Growth Mindset, was a a guest on the show um, a few months ago and, you know, really talks about how we, as parents, can do more harm than we intend uh, when we operate from a fixed mindset. So how how does the Montessori mindset and this idea of um, kind of letting go where we can, how does that fit into the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset? Right. So when, when Dr. Dweck talks about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, she's often talking about the kinds of um, attitudes that we hold about ourselves that contribute to our ability to um, to function 
and accomplish things and, and grow as people. And so people who have a fixed mindset are sort of under the belief that they were born the way they're born. You know, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. There's some things that we're good at and some things that we're not. And then that's pretty much the way it is. And that can be limiting, and it can also subject us to things like stereotype threat, which is some, a, an idea that you discussed on your show with her. Um, in other words, you know, just the mere fact that someone can remind you that you, that you may be potentially limited in, in some way, even if that, that idea is, is um, a um, kind of a cultural myth, you know, those myths are out there that there are certain things that certain people are better at than others. And the fact of being aware of, of something like that can actually cause us to perform more poorly. And so it becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy or a perpetual um, uh, handicap in a way. And in contrast, the growth mindset basically um, is the belief that we are capable of our own growth, that we are... Um, that we are by nature not fixed but malleable and that what we do and how we invest ourselves matters and that we can change and that we can improve and get better. And I think that fundamentally the Montessori approach represents a kind of growth mindset. And the reason I think that as teacher or you know, whomever is involved in, in having a role in raising the child, looks at the child and watches for the opportunities that the child presents herself or himself um, to, you know, for guidance. And so they sort of look to the child and say, um, this child is, is revealing himself to me. So... so mm-hmm. Um, so it's not my role to decide how the child is going to be or how the child is going to behave or what they're going to achieve or not, but it's really my role um, to observe the child who's growing his own brain. She's growing her own mm. brain. And I think this is a, it's not something that's, this is not written in Dr. Montessori's words herself in, in the way that I'm, that I'm talking with you about, but I think mm-hmm. that when you read her writings, she talks about basically an unlimited potential for growth in children. And what we need to be careful of as adults is that we don't in- unintentionally interfere with that growth. And that can happen mm-hmm. in so many ways. I mean, we all, you know, parenting can, parenting is tough, and, and we, you know, there are a lot of things we have to get done, but sometimes by just you know, going through our day, day in and day out, we're actually missing, we're missing a cue from our kid that they that they need something, mm-hmm. or we're, you know, we're cut, stopping something short, or they're just they're just starting to you know to get deeply involved in something, and then we sort of whisk them away, or and we we may unintentionally interfere with that work that the child really needs to do him or herself to to grow themselves, um, and if if Montessori had thought that had believed in a fixed mindset, she never would have said looked at children that way. She mm-hmm. never would have said to the she never would have said that the role of the adult is to observe and follow the child in order to best support um, sort of scaffold their development as they form themselves. That that doesn't fit, yeah. right? So in my mind, 
the growth mindset is an incredibly important part of parenting and child raising and teaching. Mm -hmm. And it's also so empowering because when we look at our child or any child and say, this child has the ability and the potential to grow himself, and then we just consider that we play a very, very important role in that, first of all, it Mm kind of takes the weight of the world off our shoulders because it's not our job to quite get it right or wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a big pressure on parents. Um, you know, it's not our job to tell them how to be and make sure we do it just right. But rather, mm-hmm. it's our job to observe carefully and lovingly and appreciate it as no other person. When it's your own child, you can appreciate it as no other person can can appreciate. You know, the beauty and the sort of inner light in that child and um, and it also empowers us and the child to say, there's so much possible, and let's just mm-hmm. go go. Let's just walk together down this road of development and discover what it will be. For me, that's mm-hmm. a very p- empowering idea because yeah. um, it doesn't really come down to doing it right or wrong or. Um, you know, it really comes down to more of like a journey of discovery and the recognition that 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 there's probably that this child is probably capable of things that we can't even imagine. Wow. Uh, you know, I um, I am a, a Montessori mother too, and I have <laughs> certainly learned that what may look like failure to me is actually success in the growth of my child. So for for my children, the process is what is valuable. And so, um, you know, just to take, for example, tying their shoes, um, they may not get it right away, and we may have to sit for many, many minutes as they try and try and try over and over again. Um, and that process, that practice is what is going to make them capable of doing it on their own and not me coming in to do it for them. Um, you know, we had a, another show with Dr. Gabor Monte who, who came on to talk about, uh, again, how, how damaging parents can be. Um, and uh, when we, he talked about, you know, um, attachment in children and how children mm-hmm. really need to attach to adults. And it feels like a very delicate balance between not wanting to release your child into uh, the the wild that is the the network of their peers to be raised, um, and and not being kind of overly um, present for them, so that you know it. I think it, it it could be very easy to think of, as you say, you know, really growing their brains and helping to even water their brains by jumping in to um, help them navigate situations that they find themselves in. How, how do you see or how do you help parents to really navigate that very delicate balance between keeping your children close, which is what Dr. Mate encourages, um, but not over-parenting and not certainly parenting from a fixed mindset as Dr. Dweck admonishes. Right, so what I do is I, I, what helps me is I come back to the words of 
that I've read of Dr. Montessori. <laughs> she's kind of mm-hmm. she's kind of my one of my guiding lights because I come back always to the very 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 basic goal that I have as a parent, which is I want to raise a child who is a competent, uh, self-sufficient, well-adjusted, happy, and happy child, and who is a contributing member of society. So, someone who has mm-hmm. ability, you know, confidence in her abilities. Someone who has um, is, is sort of, you know, no, knows who she is, is able to express herself, is also able to function in in a in a society where, you know, you're not the only one with needs. Everybody has needs, and so you need to get along with others. You need to manage in the world. And, I, and someone who has moral character, someone who, this is something that Dr. Montessori talked about a lot. You want to raise, you want, we want our children to have a sense of justice. Mm-hmm. We want them to have a sense of belonging to something greater than themselves. And the responsibility that comes along with that is that you, you help take care of of others and and so there's a and so this is a that's that's what I return to constantly I mean every day and I everything whether it's tying the shoes or separating from the child or thinking about you know how how we deal with attachment because they're you know that's a very personal thing too but every the smallest from the smallest the most profound thing that happens between myself and my child in our family, I always ask myself, what, how does this relate to my goal of raising this confident, you know, capable, contributing member of society, a person with moral character? And so when, as that, that, that look takes a lot, on a lot of different forms. Sometimes mm-hmm. it looks a little bit funny, like, Sometimes, you know, you can take the very smallest thing um, and that, you allow, your, that you, you allow your child to do that maybe, maybe not everybody thinks to do. So um, I'll think of an example like my child, uh, really, my child who's three really likes to, you know, if we get in the car to go somewhere, she likes to open the car door herself, get herself in close her own car door, mm-hmm. get in her seat, mm-hmm. buckle her seatbelt. This is a very long process because car door is heavy. <laughs> she's little. Um, but see, yeah. the seat buckle, the, the seatbelt is kind of, it has three different clips and it it's, requires a certain <laughs> amount of manual dexterity and strength. She's been literally working on this skill. Like it's, it's, it's as if she's going to the gym to work out, you know. And I think if you're, if you're a passerby on the street and you're walking by and this mother is standing next to the car for like... <laughs> 12 minutes while the three-year-old is opening the door, you know, like really straining to open the door. And and if you, and and watch out, if you put your hand on the door to like help open it, you will, you'll hear, you'll hear from her because she's, you know, she's, she's doing it herself. And it's such a silly thing, right? It seems like nothing. You would think that you probably are going somewhere because you have somewhere to be. So it might be to your advantage just open the door, put the kid in the car, buckle her up, and go. Um, mm-hmm. What I do is, and, 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 and people walk by, and I think sometimes they, they wonder if we're okay, or they might even wonder who's in charge, you know, because um, it, mm-hmm. it can look like the opposite of what it is sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. so, but, but what I've decided as a parent is 
she really wants to do this. If, if she feels in control of her environment and of herself to do this. And so if we have to leave 12 minutes earlier because that's how long it takes for us to get in the car, then that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, on, you know, from the smallest thing, um, even the child feeding, feeding themselves, you know, when, at the age when, um, you know, at the age of one where they're learning to hold a utensil and the food is ending up on the floor or the wall or the ceiling rather than in their mouths, but the child mm-hmm. is... Um, but the child is um, invested in the process. Like you said, as a parent, you might think, well, that was a failure because I prepared a meal and my child didn't actually eat it. But what that child needed possibly even more than to eat the food in that particular Mm -hmm. moment was that process of holding the utensil and attempting to control it and get the job done. Mm -hmm. So what what I talk to parents about is how we embody that at the... In, in, the sm- in the smallest of ways, but how, you know, essentially parenting day in and day out is one instance of that after another. It's just one after another after another where every moment you say to yourself, is this an opportunity for my child to serve herself? Because my mm-hmm. ultimate goal is that you serve yourself, that you are capable and happy to meet your own needs and of course when she grows up and goes off to college or gets a job or whatever of course that's what I hope she's able to do on a physical and and on emotional and intellectual levels Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you also mentioned attachment and that's that's an interesting topic um, especially I I feel like right now and in our society our kind of cohort of parents there's a lot of um, a lot of attention has been brought brought to the idea of attachment. What's called attachment parenting has become mm-hmm. a very um, a very kind of uh, popular notion recently, and you know it originates um, from the psychological research that was done done by people like Bowlby and had had to do with um, uh, looking at looking at different types of attachment that occur between parent and offspring. And I think mm-hmm. that and it's a really wonderful thing that parents think about how they parent and the things that contribute to the, the, na- the type of attachment that they have with their child. So, so when people talk about attachment parenting, they often talk about things like how we nurse the child, um, how we sleep, with or without the child, um, and how we how the parent and the child deal with separation, whether they separate and when, um, things like that. And so, it's a really it's a really important thing to to think about. And I also think that we sometimes um, sometimes in these days, I think it sometimes gets confused with mm-hmm. um, the idea that there should be no limits on the child. So, for example, sometimes people take the idea of that you want, you want, a, you want, an, attach, you want an attached child. Um, and I think people, you know, we talk about nursing and, or feeding on demand um, and sleep, following the child's cues for sleep and things like that. But I, I, what, what's really key is that you want to develop a healthy attachment or what was called a secure attachment at the time. And so the idea is not that you 
are constantly attached to the child. The idea is not that you never say no. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea Mm -hmm. is that you navigate when and how to set limits and structure and sometimes, you know, say no or, you know, not feed the child or not sleep with the child when you decide it's, it's ready for the sake of that child going on to continue to develop a healthy attachment to the parent and not, for example, an excessive attachment or an anxious attachment. So mm-hmm. um, I, think it's, I think that when Gabor Monte talks about it, it's very, um, very, very important that we think about um, the choices that we make um, especially early in, in development, because those patterns, as he describes, those patterns get set up in habit and in the brain and get reinforced over their lives. And, and the patterns that we set up with our children will influence the patterns that they go on to establish and, and perpetuate in their relationships in their adult lives and with their own children someday. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very important concept. I, I also think that, um, you know, coming back to the idea of the, our, what we're calling the Montessori mindset, one of the things that I, I mentioned earlier that's very important is that there is a very clear, um, it's very clearly established in a Montessori relationship who is the adult, in other mm-hmm. words, who is the, who is the authority, um, and, and that that's not the child. And so mm-hmm. she, she makes clear that it's not to say, when you follow the child and when you focus on a healthy attachment and you do all these things lovingly and, and, and nurture, you know, to nurture the child and, and you try to be very sensitive to their needs and really, in a lot of ways, you go to great lengths to accommodate to the child. But you're still, you're doing it very deliberately and you're doing it because you are the parent or the adult in that child's life and you, um, you know what's, what's best for them. Um, and so it doesn't get confused with the child being in charge. Um, and, and when I think we establish that sort of warm and caring, but, you know, in charge relationship, what happens with the child is they develop trust because they need to know that we are going to be there they and part of that is knowing that we're still in charge <laughs> you know so mm-hmm. we accommodate to them and we, we we bend and we ebb and we flow and we <laughs> it's this like very intricate dance that we do but at the end of the day they know that the parent is the parent and they need to know that because they're going to have to leave and come back and know that you're still there and you're still the parent yeah and so that's a sign of a healthy this. attachment yeah right so I, I want to move into the the context of equity and educational equity and student discipline in particular. So when you are talking about self-discipline and the adult in a child's life being the guide for that child but not interfering too much with the child's healthy development and growth, and developmentally appropriate mistakes or failures that may appear to us to be mistakes and failures that are actually periods of growth and opportunities for learning for the child. How do you 
to parents and teachers about appropriate behavior for children in school and how to teach appropriate behavior in school from with a, a, Mont, a Montessori mindset. So I think that, um, again, I use, I really watch the Montessorians that I observe as my guide for this. Um, and I'm, mm-hmm. and I'm learning that as I, as I go. And, and I, again, the main, the main principle that it helps to remember, and for those who have not studied Montessori or been a part of a Montessori environment, it, it's actually, um, it can be very enlightening and it can also be very intuitive and make sense. Um, it can be an easy idea to adopt, but the main idea is that we always remember that our ultimate goal is that these children learn to, con- to have good self-control, um, that they, that, you know, that they have work to do. They come into school every day. They have a job to do, um, and that they do it of their own volition and that they mm-hmm. do it with, with pride and with care, um, that they enjoy it, and, um, and, that, and that they do it knowing that we are trusting them to do it. And so this is a little bit different sometimes than the mentality that, you know, school is kind of a drag, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and all these people are telling me what to do, and they don't really... Nobody's really asking me what I like <laughs> um, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, I can't really, I'm not really necessarily free to be myself. Like everybody has to sort of sit at their desk quietly and do the same thing at the same time and we get graded on it. And, um, and um, I, I think that, you know, in an ideal world, school isn't like that. You know, in an ideal world, school is a, pleasure um, gives a pleasure for children Mm -hmm. because children work um, precisely to develop themselves. That's why we see, when we look at very young children, we see them working without being told to. (laughs) They get up in the morning, Mm -hmm. they get us up way earlier than we would like to, and they get to work. (laughs) And and they they do it... um, it It is a natural drive of a child to work. And it may look like play, it's all it's all the same to the child. Um, mm-hmm. So when a child gets busy practicing something, you know, whether it's building blocks or working on a puzzle or whatever, rearranging their room, whatever it may be, um, they're working and um, and they do it with they do it because um, they have to. They have a drive, an urge, an irresistible urge, and they're while they work, especially when they're often using their hands. Um, or their bodies mm-hmm. being very physical. They may be practicing a physical skill over and over and over, like kicking a ball or jumping or something like that. Um, while they're doing that, they're developing their hand, their body, and through that, their brains. And that's why mm-hmm. they do it, because their work is basically to develop their brains. Um, and so when we think about school, what, we, what, we, I, think, what I think we want to try to do is set up that the idea of that prepared environment that allows them to do the work that they were meant to do. And that can look different from one child to the next, which makes it a little bit hard in some classrooms when you have very varying needs. And then the question is, is this particular classroom addressing the needs of the individual children? Because 
Mm-hmm. It may be doing something more like um, serving, like um, focusing on sort of the meme, which is somewhat effective for everybody, but may not be really effective for anybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or in some cases, it sort of gets tailored to the least common denominator, and that's where you have kids like... Um, you know, I think sometimes that's, that, that may what, be what corresponds to um, some kids getting really lost from boredom or, you know, being sort of forgotten because there may be some squeaky wheel that's getting all the oil, you know. Um, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. I think the idea of um, the Montessori approach in school and with discipline is how are we setting up the system? and really the community that the child is living in for those, like, eight hours of every single day um, mm-hmm. so that they, so that what they're working on is really serving the ultimate purpose of growing themselves, growing their brains, right. improving themselves, gaining skills, taking care of themselves, and learning how to get along in the world. Um, so I encourage people in the education system who, and many, and many do, Many do this. It's not that is not a purely Montessori idea. I just think Montessorians do it very well, and I think that we can always look to other models. You know, when we we're in a, the context that we're in, and we can always look to other models to just see how could I do this a little bit differently, or how do other people? How are other people attempting to achieve the same thing that I'm attempting to achieve in the classroom, for example? And how are they doing it well? And how can I incorporate some of that? Um, and uh, and I think that um, I think that there are a lot of different educational educational models that try to take individual needs into account, and really there can be a lot gained from the idea of the child becoming self-sufficient, feeling like they're the master of themselves and their environment. Um, and sometimes I think the arts can help uh, because mm-hmm. the arts are a special kind of activity that, you know, promote intellectual and academic performance as well as, as, well as sort of social-emotional and, and um, you know, creative uh, expression and things like that. But the arts are a little bit more of a way, I think they're a special opportunity for, for individuals to, um, uh, it's a, they, they tend to be a little less rule-bound. And so I think they, they offer an opportunity in like a traditional school, for example, they offer an opportunity for kids to really work on um, mastering a certain technique or approach at their own pace, um, finding mm-hmm. out what they're capable of, really expressing themselves in, in a way that, you know, it's, it's very gratifying, it's very rewarding. Um, and I think that, that that is one kind of tool that can be worked into any educational approach or model um, that helps yeah. address fundamentally some of those um, uh, that that development of of the self. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think it's so important that that we um, that that we all understand as adults that you know children are bringing a variety of different experiences and perspectives with them to school, and uh, you know it's it's incumbent on educators in the building to really be able to understand and I think you know this is this is very much 
a Montessori concept, which is to receive the children where they are and how they are and guide them in their own way and, you know, on their own path to um, to healthy healthy interactions and appropriate behaviors. Um, and that that really is part of teaching, too, that, yeah. you know, it's important that teachers teach how to read and teach how to do math and teach how to, um, you know, how to jump rope in PE or, um, right. you know, play dodgeball. But it's also important that educators can uh, really be open to understanding where children come from um, you know, I've, I've heard many educators speak about some of the traumas that children experience on a day-to-day basis in their lives, and to then go into a classroom environment and have to sit still and receive information the way, you know, as you said, as though they are these empty receptacles to just right. receive the data dump that teachers give them and then go on about their day is is really just not realistic for any child. Um, and, you know, trauma can be relative, and it, it could be, you know, seeing someone very close to you being harmed in some way or brutalized, or it could be that you, um, you know, your, your parents are experiencing a separation or a divorce or, or whatever. And, and so trauma is absolutely relative, and, and children, no matter who they are, bring with them those experiences, and that is what equity is, is being able to really assess where children are, what they bring with them, and guiding them through that and, and on that path with um, a, a healthy respect for what what they come from and, and who they are. Um, so I wonder in the last few minutes if you would just give us a couple of, of you know, specific tips. What, what specifically yeah. can parents and educators do to make sure that they are really helping their, their children and students to to grow and develop as healthy human beings? I think that um, I think that one of the, the key things that it um, well there's a, a couple things so one is you know with respect to educators um, learning to incorporate those skills the skills of leading the child you know we don't just teach reading and math and, and dodgeball but but that we, um, we're, we're guiding the, ch- the child's brain development. And the thing about self-regulation, those, the skills around ex- what we call executive functioning, being able to take care of yourself, um, mm-hmm. the thing about that is that it serves all those things. The child who self-regulates will read better, will do math better, will play sports better, um, will feel better, and will be happier and more fulfilled. And so I think that schools, when they do professional developments and in-service, you know, when they have ongoing education for those, for the educators and all of the people who are serving the children, I think they should have mm-hmm. them around the idea of how we, how we teach um, self-regulation or how we guide the children to become, you know, um, to fulfill themselves, you know. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that we should that people should, there's so much from neuroscience to be learned and there are a lot of great sources and great speakers on the topic and great books to be read and I think that should be a focus of, of professional development um, for teachers and, and parents and everyone involved in, in those, um, you know, community centers, every, everyone involved in the raising the children. Um, the other thing that I think is really um, that we should think about and, and sort of, you know, talk about as community members together 
is um, how the brain is capable of change. And, and, that, and, and it, that's an uplifting thing to, talk, to think about because <laughs> the brain is mm-hmm. very uh, what we call plastic, meaning malleable. It's subject to change. Now, there's no greater plasticity than when the child is very young because the brain is still forming in itself. And it's, there are different stages of that and, and um, you know, sort of sensitive periods to particular things. And um, the people who are very skilled in those areas are, are really well, um, are very adept at meeting those needs. But even if we just consider the main underlying principle, like big picture, the brain isn't fixed. It's not static. And that goes for us. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. what's exciting is that one of the things, one of the, one easy way to think about it is that, that phrase that everybody knows, you use it or lose it, which, which mm-hmm. implies that the things that we do day in and day out, they set up patterns in the brain. And those patterns get reinforced. And as patterns get reinforced, the brain shapes itself around them. And patterns that don't get reinforced um, we lose, you know, so if you, mm-hmm. you know, you might have had some exposure to some other foreign language sounds, and if it doesn't, if it, is, if it doesn't become important in your daily life, eventually you're not going to learn to speak that language, and if you do hear it, you're going to hear it with an accent, and you're going to, if you try to speak it, you're going to speak it with an accent. Um, that's, you know, that's the kind of tuning that happens, so we want to think about when we raise our children, we want to think about, well, what are the patterns that we do every day? Do we fight every day? Is there trauma every day? Mm-hmm. Because if so, that's mm-hmm. setting up patterns. Now, the good news is we can change those patterns. And there are a lot of books out there that talk about, um, you know, that, that give ways to do that, but talk about if you make deliberate decisions for your child and for yourself to do things differently, to practice a different way, your brain mm-hmm. will follow. And you really have so much potential, even later in life to recover from trauma or recover from um, disabilities. Um, so there are a lot of, example, of examples of people who, you know, with, with aging, for example, and cognitive decline and things like memory loss, and there are, there are you know, people are developing ways to sort of keep the, the mind um, agile. And, you know, we've extended the lifespan of adults, but we haven't extended the mental lifespan, so there are people who are working on that, so that we, you know, so that if we live longer, we're living quality, and so it goes for our children, and it goes for ourselves, so one of the most exciting things that I like to think about is, as I parent my child, and as I teach her skills in regulating herself, and, you know, we explore new things, and I find out what she loves, and I try to follow her interests, and, you know, she falls in love with something that I never did myself. And so I learn mm-hmm. it with her. And as she's growing and as her little brain is forming itself and, you know, learning deeply embedding skills and, and as she's becoming herself, I, as a parent, get the privilege of going along for the ride and, and benefiting from it. And as I parent and, and as I survive hard days, you know, as I, as I find how, what are the challenges of parenting and I feel myself sometimes um, asking myself, could I be doing this differently? You know, could I be doing this in a way that better serves her needs and, and better um, is less frustrating for me or, you know, as I do that, I am practicing the Montessori approach with myself. I'm practicing the growth mindset for myself. Mm-hmm 
which means that every day <laughs> I can wake up and say, I could be a better parent than yesterday, which is a really good thing some days. Because <laughs> there are some days you really think, I could be a better parent. So um, it's, a, it's a really exciting way to think about, to embody the growth mindset, which is that, you know, we, we guide our children. We, we're going to do... We're going to do the best we can, and we're, you know, we're overwhelmingly we're going to do a lot of good things. Um, but remember, you know, it's for us too. Um, and, mm-hmm. a, and as we practice the, we practice the patterns that we want reinforced in our own minds. And remember, that means reinforced in our own bodies too. So the stress mm-hmm. and tension that we carry, the way we react to things, you know, our blood pressure, things like that. So the, as we go through that process and guide that process with our children, we are literally practicing it ourselves. And I think for yeah. me as an, as an adult and as a parent and as a person who has still lots to do in life, you know, many, many, many goals to accomplish, um, I think to myself um, that how much that is possible. And I see so much potential in myself, just like I see so much potential when I look at my child. Well, I think that is the the perfect note on which to end. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Dr. Jessica Phillips-Silver is a neuroscientist, educator, trainer, musician, et cetera, et cetera, and she's a wonderful mommy. Follow Jessica at growing underscore brains on Twitter and visit her website at www.jessicaphillips-silver.com. Audience, you are now officially certified know-it-alls about the Montessori mindset. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jessica. Thank you very much, Allison. Remember to follow Know It All on Twitter at Allison R. Brown. Follow Find ABC on Facebook and read my blog at AllisonBrownConsulting.com. Have a wonderful week.